Good morning, Sanctuary. I'm not usually one for sports analogies, but I was reminded this week that in golf, there is a technical term for these moments when, for some unknown reason, a golfer is just unable to hit a golf ball. It's called the shanks. The shanks can happen to anybody, but more often to people like me, and as if the game of golf isn't already frustrating enough. Coming down with a case of the shanks is enough to make anyone want to quit altogether, to be one of those guys caught on camera throwing their golf clubs into a pond. Some of you baseball fans will remember Mackie Sasser, who famously got what they call a case of the yips just a couple years into his career. Sasser, he was a professional catcher, and all of a sudden, he couldn't throw the ball from home plate to the pitcher's mound. And it got so bad that he had to start running the ball back to the pitcher after every throw. All of us experience something like the shanks from time to time, these spiritual yips, these moments when we simply can't figure things out, that things are not making sense, the things we always did aren't working anymore, and we just feel stuck. The Apostle Paul speaks to this very thing in one of our texts for today. In Romans 7, he says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I know nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want, is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here's the Apostle Paul. I don't understand my own actions. I don't do what I want to do. And the things that I know are right, instead I do what I don't want to do, the very thing I hate. Who will rescue me? I'm sure we have all had moments like this, and this is especially true in times like these where our rhythms and our routines and our sense of normalcy are all uprooted. So what do we do? How do we get ourselves unstuck? Another one of our texts today comes from the prophet Zechariah. And Zechariah is one of my favorite books of the Bible. It tells this story of the people of God returning to Jerusalem after exile in Babylon. And as the people of God are prone to do, they are full of complaints and disappointment at just how difficult life back in Jerusalem is. And their cries become, why is this so hard? Why is this so difficult? And is God's kingdom going to come soon? Now, the majority of the book is filled with all kinds of wild images, like scrolls flying through the city that punish thieves and liars. There's women who are being carried off in baskets. There are horns that scatter Israel, and then these blacksmiths that scatter the horns. I mean, this is just... You know, the common, everyday kind of stuff. But Zechariah becomes known as the prophet of small things. And here's why. 
While the people of God are confused and frustrated by how difficult life is, they're stuck in their own spiritual yips. And while they want to know just when is God going to intervene, when is the kingdom of God going to be established, Zechariah's response is this. You want to know when God's kingdom is coming? It comes when you become people who are ready to participate in God's kingdom. Now, if you're anything like me, you were formed by churches and communities that emphasized doing the big things for God, things like giving up our comfortable lives and becoming a missionary, or for a while there was this emphasis on winning our schools for Christ. I mean, these are the big, the exciting, the daring things that we do to signal our faith and our belief in Jesus. And it seemed as though these kinds of actions became the markers of success for Christians. Like, if you're doing all of these things right, if you're doing Christianity right, it looks like this. Sure. I think that there are times and there are moments when we are called to take some step of faith, especially in those moments when God really is calling us to something bigger and maybe scarier than what we're used to. But for the overwhelming majority of us, our faith is lived out in these simple, small, everyday kind of things. And when we find ourselves with the case of the yips, with the spiritual shanks, we need to be reminded that God is in the small much more often than God is in the big. Hear what the prophet Zechariah says to the people longing for God's kingdom. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath. The thing God calls his people to in their moment of frustration, their moment of doubting and disappointment, is the common stuff of everyday life. It's the small areas of daily conversation, the ways in which we speak to one another. And it includes things like business, how we interact with one another economically, the attitudes of how we respond to people, the promises we make to one another. When the people of God ask Zechariah, how long will it be like this? The word God gave to Zechariah was to be faithful in the little everyday things. I want to suggest to us today that if you are feeling stuck, if there's not much life and energy animating your faith, if you feel like there's no sense of aim or trajectory, return in Zechariah's words to the day of small things. Richard Foster, a Christian theologian and author, wrote, Frankly, the battle is won or lost precisely in the trifling areas of life. It is the small fidelities that are most helpful in training the heart toward God. These thousands upon thousands of little actions of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit slowly but surely change our heart. More than any other thing, the small corners of life reveal who we truly are. The large virtues most often occur in a public forum, and usually we're able to put on a good front when we know others are watching. It is in the unguarded moment, however, when no one is watching, that what is really in our heart comes to the surface. 
And may the revelation of our heart be a cause for rejoicing in the goodness of God. See, there is something about attending faithfully to the small, everyday issues of our lives that pleases the heart of God more than the big, demonstrative, exciting moments. There are a number of you who have made these rhythms of prayer part of your daily life. You're bookending your days with morning and evening prayer. And part of how we approach these rhythms is not with a big expectation of revival or a move of the Spirit. We love and we encourage those things, to be sure. But prayer is much more like going for a walk every day. Some days you enjoy it, other days you just do it. But sometime down the road, you start to notice that you're a bit healthier. You're in a better place than you were six weeks or six months before. Now, it's really hard to go back and say, you know, that walk that I took on that day, that was the one that really changed things for me. That's when I really started to turn a corner. What you know is you just kept walking. You just kept showing up. You kept doing the little everyday thing until one day you see how it's buoyed you along. It's carried you along all this time. That's how prayer works. That's what being a praying people is all about. One of the ruts we often find ourselves in is prayerlessness. And in a time like this, if there's any temptation we should resist, it's the temptation of prayerlessness. So show up. Keep bringing yourself to God in prayer. Let it buoy you along. We see other examples of faithfulness and small things throughout Scripture. One of our other texts for today is the story of Abraham's servant who he sends to find a wife for his son Isaac. With Abraham's blessing, this servant makes this journey, this slow, tedious journey across the desert. And one of the striking things about this story is that God isn't the one orchestrating events. I mean, God isn't the one telling the servant where to go or who to talk to or what to say, which is so oftentimes the case with our Old Testament texts. The servant is simply faithful to the task that he's given. And in the middle of his faithfulness, in the middle of his simple obedience, God shows up. Another example of this is the story of Moses. Most of us think about Moses being found in a basket or the dramatic events of the Exodus. But don't forget that the moment when everything changed for Moses was while he was simply tending to his father-in-law's flock, not forsaking the small things. And in that moment, the Lord's voice is heard from the burning bush and says, this is holy ground. See, the announcement of the incarnation, the message of Jesus Christ is all wrapped up in this idea that this ground, the ground of our day in, day out, everyday lives, this ground is holy. Don't forsake the day of small things, but embrace the reality that God is most often present to us in the small, in the quiet, in the boring moments of our lives. I think this is something of what Jesus is saying to us today from our gospel text. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy 
and my burden is light. Jesus is gentle. Jesus is humble in heart. In Jesus, we find rest. And he says to us, learn from me. Learn from me so that we can be gentle, so that we can be humble in heart, so that we can be people in whom others find a sense of rest. Because y'all, people are exhausting. You know what I'm talking about. Get on Facebook or get on Twitter for five minutes and try to prove me otherwise. But what if we learn from Jesus what it is to be gentle, to be humble, to be springs of rest and deserts of exhaustion? Hannah Moore, she was an 18th, 19th century author, philanthropist, poet, playwright. She wrote down these words. It is important to practice the smaller virtues, to avoid scrupulously the lesser sins, and to bear patiently with minor trials. The acquisition of even the smallest virtue is actually a conquest over the opposite vice and doubles our moral strength. The spiritual enemy has one subject less, and the conqueror one virtue more. By being negligent in small things, we are not aware how much we injure Christianity in the eyes of the world. How can we expect people to believe that we are in earnest in great points when they see that we cannot withstand trivial temptation? In another place, she writes, One kernel is felt in a hogshead. One drop of water helps to swell the ocean. A spark of fire helps to give light to the world. None are too small, too feeble, too poor to be of service. Think of this and act. Somehow, our faithfulness in the little things, in the trivial things, it overthrows all of the small kingdoms that rule in our hearts, in the places Christ has already claimed for himself. Origen says, a kingdom of sin was in every one of us before we believed. But Jesus came and struck down all the kings who possessed kingdoms of sin in us. And he orders us to destroy all those kings and leave none of them. So how do we do this? We do this by taking a walk. We do this by being faithful in prayer. We do this by caring for our neighbors and not in some ethereal philosophical sense, but really caring for them. Fix their mailbox if it falls over. Walk their trash can back to their house. Mow a yard. Safely fix a meal or leave a note. In Zechariah's words, we do this by not forsaking the day of small things. In Jesus's words, we do this by remembering his yoke is easy and his burden is light. We come back day after day to the simple, little, faithful things so that we can be ready for the big things. We will know God's voice. We will be attentive to the Spirit's move, and we will recognize holy ground when we're standing on it. So, friends, as Eugene Peterson said, let us practice a long obedience in the same direction as we work to good the world, to be the reason someone finds the gospel to be believable, and to not forsake the day of small things. Amen.